Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy, uh, probably the most important week of our basketball season. Happy belated Valentine's Day. Uh, what else we got? Um, happy, still don't know when spring practice starts day. But there won't happy. be a spring game, if I'm correct, right? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking it's going to trend that way. Um, happy, I don't know, pitchers and catchers are like this week-ish. That's true. Happy baseball's a total disaster as a whole, not just the Mets, but also the Mets. Burning to the ground. If this were a different podcast, I would talk about the uh, proposed postseason changes. Um, happy. <laughs> yeah, not happy. <laughs> not happy about that at all. <laughs> but yeah, Dan, why don't we just kind of dive right in um, to some Syracuse basketball um, happenings. Um, Syracuse has now lost, you know, two straight. We lost four or five. Um the NC State and Florida State games were particularly brutal. Actually, really, the last, the last four losses, and, and even the win over Wake Forest have all been particularly brutal. Um, could have very conceivably won at least four, if not all five. Um, but specifically, the last two, um, 79-74 loss NC State, despite the fact that Elijah Hughes only played a few minutes. Um, and then an 80-77 to um, loss at Florida State. Uh, that would have been the sort of marquee win that, that the Orange need to really get back into the NCAA tournament conversation. Um, unfortunately, they kind of fell apart at the end there. Some bad defense, a missed layup. Um, I feel like a little bit of poor shooting here and there. Um, and, and you end up a late lead turns into a three-point loss um, in Tallahassee. Huge, huge bummer for us. Uh, as fan base, as program, definitely not what we wanted to see. Uh, the season basically now comes down to um, this Louisville game um, on Saturday, which we'll get to. Uh, sorry, on Wednesday, which we'll get to. But um Realistically, I, I don't see a, I don't see a, a, a conceivable path to an NCAA tournament with a loss there. But again, we'll we'll, we'll get there. I guess first, Dan, what, what are your thoughts about the Florida State game and, and, and how everything shook out there? Um, I mean, I think basically this entire ACC run outside of like the first game against Virginia has looked pretty similar. I mean, the only – I mean, we don't really have a blowout loss in, in ACC play – even that Virginia game wasn't like super, it was 14 points. We came back and, and got our revenge against them. Um, but I think outside of the Duke game, which was, I think was even cl- probably closer than the nine point edge, or at least like, you know, a pretty solid single digit game. Um, our other, I think our last five ACC losses besides that are by a total of uh, 14 points. So um, this team is not far away from being like right in the heat of NCAA tournament conversation. Um I mean, if you want to give them all those wins, which you, you can't really do, but like in that like mystical world, we're probably like a sit seed. If you want to give us half of them, we're probably pretty, uh, com- we're probably in the field. Um, and it's unfortunately been a a thing where, you know, we did get a little lucky, you know, we had a two point win in tech. We had a close one in ND, but we, uh, a close one in wake, but we've been like kind of living on the razor's edge for so long. Um, and it's just kind of the, the theme of the season. And these last two games have been, uh, very much the same case. Um, you know, Florida State would have been a, a really good opportunity for a win. Um, you know, maybe the the fact that they had one of their best players out would have taken a little bit away from it, but it still would have been a really nice top 10 win on the road. NC State would have been a really nice win without our best player who was out for almost the entire game. Uh, couldn't pull that one out. So um, it's going to be tough, assuming that we don't make a, a huge run here at the end um, and either, like, get 
as hot as possible and make a didn't at large or win the ACC tournament because like there were plenty of wins on the board for us. Um, there was there's no real game we were out of an ACC play, plus throw in like the early season uh, difficulties in non conference play and and it, it's it's unfortunate. It just uh, you know it seems like we're it, probably not just running out of steam, but where um, we just can't quite separate. Uh, to the point where we can really put things away comfortably, and that's where you get like really brutal losses like these last two. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many things that I, I think have repeated themselves over and over um, in the losses, even some of the wins. Uh, you know, it, it's foul trouble from the Syracuse bigs. It's an inability to to shoot threes at a at a steady clip. Um, I think defensive troubles, and, and and in particular, you know, troubles stopping opposing big men and or um, guard play. I, I feel like our our you know, defense from the guards has lacked. I know uh, Matt Gutierrez over at The Athletic talked about that a little bit on Monday. I know Mike Waters also talked about um, kind of what's going on in the first half and second half endings and, and how SU's kind of come apart on both ends. Our own Kevin Wall talked about the, the, the first, second half splits as well. Um, there, are, there are definitely some some consistencies here that, that you can see just popping up over and over. And, and unfortunately, you know, that's the sort of thing that shows up on tape and, and shows up in your tendencies and shows up in opposing game plans. And I think at this point, like that there are certain aspects and certain, um, you know, this SU team that that other team are able to plan for. It doesn't mean they'll always win, but you know, when, when at that list of maybe like three or four things I listed when, when two to three of them go wrong, um, it, it makes it much easier to pull out those wins. So like going into this year, I, I think we, we saw maybe 13, we saw 12 to 13 wins on the schedule in, in ACC play um, without really pulling off a big win. I think, you know, that's now probably a stretch uh, at the same time that like we could easily get to 12 with six games to go and still not really possess that big, big win um, other than, you know, a pretty passable victory over, over Virginia on the road. So I, I'm not necessarily thrilled by what we've seen, but I also can't be surprised because again, you, you look at some of these, look at some of these weaknesses. And I think for the most part, like they, they were, they were known going into the season. Yeah. We talked about it a little bit a couple of weeks ago, but this is where like the conference being what it is this year is, is kind of working against us at this point. Like it's nice that you can't really go into a game expecting like a definite loss. Like the, the toughest game on our schedule um, well, probably was the Florida state one just now, but probably going to be at Louisville uh, on Wednesday. Um, and like we saw Louisville come out super flat, uh, just a couple days ago. Um, and then everything after that's all very winnable, but when none of those teams, uh, get you much in terms of like NCAA tournament cred, um, honestly, like who's the NCAA tournament team left in our schedule Louisville. And like, that's probably it. (laughs) That's, that's honestly, that's probably it. Like the ACC might only get four. Um, so like we very well might finish with 10 or 11 conference wins and 95% of seasons, like that's, that's a cinch for you to make the tournament. It's even if we started the year with the way we did, but this year, um, I mean, it's hard to find more than four, maybe five bids if someone gets hot late. Um, and unfortunately, like it, it kind of turns on you where the 11 wins or 10 wins or whatever magic conference tournament number you would usually expect just doesn't have that same weight. Um, so yeah, it's tough. Uh, obviously you beat Louisville and then, you know, if we were to win the last six teams, I think we'd, we'd have a very interesting resume at 20 and 11 joining the ACC. We'd be pretty red hot. Um, but outside of that, like I, I, it's, you you have to pick up some serious, uh, 
resume building stuff in the ACC tournament. And we know that's been a very difficult uh, path for us since we entered the league. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of history training against us at this point. Uh, six games left. SU's finished two and four the last seven years. Um, so since they joined the ACC, so not a great start uh, by any means. And you can definitely see a path to two and four here, uh, just like you can see a path to better records as well. Um, you have the fact that, yes, we have struggled uh, no matter where the ACC tournament's taken place. Um, that's not ideal. You know, I not to say I told you so, but, but you and I talked to plenty of people and plenty of, uh, and the rest of the blog too, talked to plenty of people before the season that thought, you know, 10, 11, 12 ACC wins should do the trick. Um, and, and really, even if the conference wasn't as down as it is now, I still don't think it, it, it would be a lock because, you know, you look at the schedule, you look at who we face, you look at who we've beaten, like there's just not enough quality teams. And really, I don't think there's a ton of really bad, like the worst ACC team a couple of weeks ago was Boston College. And I think Boston College is now probably, you know, in, in that muddled middle of the pack along with, you know, most of the rest of the league. There's just, there, there just isn't a lot of, I wouldn't say there's a lot of terrible, really like Wake Forest is the only, Say Wake Forest is the only really like bad team, and even then they're like not as bad as they have been historically when they've been terrible. North Carolina has too much talent, even with their record, they have too much talent to really be considered terrible. Uh, and then you look at everybody else in here. Um, there's what you know, eight nine teams between five and seven wins in league play. Like so, so it's not necessarily that the league's terrible as much as the middle class all decided to kind of take a step back at, at the same time. So that's how you end up with a log jam of, you know, seven or eight teams, maybe more um, in like that 60 to, to 100 range if you're looking at, you know, Ned or Ken Palm. Um, and, and that's just not what, that's not what most major conferences are, but that's especially what not what this major conference has been historically. Um, and even as recently as last year uh, has not dipped to that. So now, yeah, now we're, we're in a situation where, you know, even this, the schedule has, the schedule didn't do us favors in non-conference and then doesn't do us favors in conference play. I also look at like our upcoming opponent in Louisville and I don't know what to think because they've lost two straight, um, both on the road though, to Georgia tech and Clemson. Um, neither of those teams are world beaters by any means, but they are road games. Um, they are top 100 squads. So they were not going to necessarily kill Louisville, but now we have to face a Louisville team. That's you know desperate to prove something is and two in their last two games is dropping in the polls. Uh, right now they're they're 11th, but they're probably going to be like top 15-ish um, based on the Clemson loss. It doesn't bode well, and even if we upset them, now we're just knocking the quality of that win down even further potentially. Um, I still think it's a good win. I still think it's one that would help our chances, um, but it's it's not it's no longer the the potential like trump card um, that it would be e- even a week ago. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the touch twenty two with this entire schedule. Like the obviously you have to win the game. Like if we don't beat Louisville, then you're looking at ACC tournament title or bust, uh, in all likelihood. But um, it, yeah, it's it wouldn't exactly make Louisville look like this world beater. Even if they you know, are eleventh in the country, they just came off a game where they got held to fourteen points and a half by like a pretty average Clemson team. Um, so they're certainly not. They're both un, not unbeatable, but also not quite the power team that we saw. I mean, they fell from fifth to 11th after that loss or after the two losses here. Um, so yeah, just the ACC in general is just a very strange year. And, and I agree. I don't think there's any team that's like a total disaster. Um, 
but with everyone being in that like 60 to 100 net range like that's a lot of teams on the wrong side of the bubble where if you just pushed everyone up like 10 spots we could be talking like oh the acc may be a little top heavy but they're gonna get you know eight teams in the tournament this year and it's just like everyone's just like a step below where they need to be for that to be the, the reality so you end up with this weird like four maybe five team league yeah it's definitely the weirdest thing i've seen from the acc since the first expansion well first quote unquote um, the one that brought in Miami and DC and Virginia Tech, where I feel like the league has been pretty deep and has been a five or six team uh, little bid league for the most part, uh, with few exceptions. I think especially since the you know second big expansion round, um, you haven't really seen you know this level of of not futility but this level of struggle from from such a large um, portion of, of the league. So I'm 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 worried about that. I think that it's not a long term concern. Um, in the immediate term, I'm worried about Louisville. Uh, Dan, do you think I'm right to feel like we kind of missed our opportunity on on this upset here um, because they lost? They've lost two straight now, and now like there's a, there's an extra bit of motivation that maybe wasn't there before. Uh, it's hard to know. Uh, I it's I don't really have a sense of this like this Louisville team. If this was a Patino team where we were very familiar with they were every year. I would say probably yes, and also they gave us a lot of trouble. Um, I think we've played relatively decently against Louisville in recent years, um, but I think they're still very talented. Um, I do think they have a tendency of falling asleep. Like there are games where where Noara, who you know came in looking at I me, mean, still probably an All ACC player, came in looking like a National Player of the Year candidate, just completely falls asleep. Um, but then there are nights where they're just like they're awesome. So um, I don't love. I mean in as much as you can measure anything like I don't love facing them off of uh, two losses uh, when they really want to kind of reestablish themselves here entering like the final stretch of the season. Um, but I don't think they're unbeatable by any means. And uh, it also, I think it's just for us, like if our, we, we haven't had like a super well-rounded effort in a while. Uh, obviously buddy has been ice, ice, ice cold. The last two games, we probably win both if he's playing well. Um, if he gets back going, uh, I think we have a decent shot, but if we're playing with like Elijah as our only uh, Elijah and I guess Gerard too, who's played well offensively the last couple of games for the most part, like that's not enough. We need, we need our, our bigs to stay on the court and we need buddy and Elijah. Like that combo is very dangerous, but it, it, it doesn't work nearly as well. If one of those guys is just not able to store at all. And I think teams have started to take buddy away a bit more and, you know, just kind of like dealing with Elijah doing what he does. Um, but uh, yeah, we just need to, to really get that figured out and get like everyone clicking. Cause even uh, in these last couple, like these last four or five or whatever that we've lost and even in the wake game, it's, it's been kind of a struggle to get like everyone involved. Yeah. I think just with like anecdotal evidence, um, you know, not having like the raw stats in front of me on this, what, what I'm like, think we're seeing is like, like you mentioned, letting Elijah kind of do what he wants to do shifting your top defender over to buddy and seeing buddy kind of not shrink in the spotlight, but certainly not perform to the same level in, in the spotlight. Um, and then forcing the other players to beat you. So taking buddy out of the equation. Now you're forced. Now you're forcing Joe Gerard into a larger role and, and, and Gerard can drift into hero ball. Um, Quincy Garrier has actually, I think responded well to, to the call for him to do more. Um, but, but obviously he can't do it alone. And the more he, he's involved, the more he's potentially in foul trouble um, Merrick Dolzhai, you know, obviously the more involved he is, the more he ends up in foul trouble. Um, and there's really not a whole lot of ramp beyond that on this bench, uh, just because of how Bayham runs his teams, but also because of the talent level. Um, so I, I think if, if I had to kind of blindly guess it at what's going on, I would say that would be the, uh, 
the the tact for our opponents is play it that way and, and see what happens. Uh, I, I don't necessarily think it's really harmed any of them um, of late. Yeah, I kind of uh, get it too because like I think Elijah's good enough where even on his bad nights he's storing for the most part like he's generally storing what like eight, 16, 18 points. If you want to like really focus your defense on him, he's still probably getting his and then you're worrying about Buddy having those like four minute bursts where he stores 12, 15 points and that can, you know, obviously doesn't put you out of the game. Syracuse is very good at giving up those leads, but it at least puts you at like a, a stretch where you have to like, you know, go nuts to even tie it up. Um Versus if you take Buddy away, which I think is easier just based on like athleticism and, and you know, his offensive full offensive game isn't quite as refined as Elijah's, even if it is still very, it's getting better. Um, you know, Elijah on with a secondary defender, even if he stores, you know, 27 on you, that's better. And Buddy might store nothing. And that's, uh, uh, you'll take that versus Elijah still finding a way to get to like 16 points and then Buddy storing 25. So I, I, I think we probably have to adjust to like, that might be the reality going forward because it's worked these last two games. Not that I know exactly how these defenses have been playing it, but it's, I mean, on possession by possession, when I paid attention to just buddy, like he's getting really aggressively defended off the ball. Yeah. I I don't necessarily know from my standpoint, how that gets combated, but I'm sure Jim Beheim and and Stafford are working to cook something up. Um, Looking at Louisville a bit deeper. um, Obviously Noara is averaging 18.2 per game for them. Um, he's the only player actually averaging double figures right now, which would be a good sign for Syracuse. If not for just the overall success of this offense, Louisville is 11th in Ken Palm in terms of offensive efficiency and 44th in, in defense. Uh, they actually play at a pretty slow pace. Uh, they are in the bottom 100 or so um, in terms of pace. So that's something that I feel like on paper seems to play into our um like emphasis, but at the same time, if you look at Synergy Sports, you look at some of the other advanced metrics, we're actually one of the better teams in the country um, playing in transition. So I actually think the Syracuse team, um, one of the, I think its biggest problems has been its its inability to pick up the pace and its lack of desire to pick up the pace. Um, the numbers show, obviously the sample size is a little bit smaller, but the numbers do show that this team plays well in transition. They play well with pace. Um, it seems like that's something that they should be, you know, leaning a lot further into. Um, at least from my point of view. So as much as I feel like a slower pace could help Syracuse, I almost think that trying to push Louisville to their tempo um, could be really helpful in this one, maybe create a, a little bit of a, of a demand on the other players besides Mora to uh, do a little bit more on offense. Uh, you do have a little bit of a problem here, though, in terms of uh, rebounding prowess. Um, Louisville averages 39 rebounds a game. That's pretty good. They have four guys who average five or more rebounds a game. Um, I'm not thrilled about that. I think there's a lot of opportunities for, for Syracuse Bigs to get into foul trouble here. Um, and that's, as we know, against any team problematic. It was almost, you know, it was almost death against a team like Wake Forest, never mind a team like Louisville. Yeah, the up-tempo, the, like, pushing the pace is interesting. Obviously, like, historically, that's not what you want to do, do it in Louisville. Um, but, like, in bursts, A, considering, like, you have a guy like Marek who can push the ball all the way up the floor and store himself um, off of his own rebounds, which is super impressive. But then you throw in like Gerard's gotten pretty decent at like getting to the hoop and getting to the line on those fast breaks. You obviously have the risk of, or the risk for the opposing team of uh, Elijah and Buddy getting open as trailers. So I, I certainly wouldn't uh, be opposed to it at all. Um, I guess like the upshot, the, the, the problem is 
the depth and concerns there. But on, on a possession-by-possession possession basis, if you can get a run out and, and really at least take a shot at it, especially when the offense is stale, like I'm, I'm all for trying to change things up and, and see if we can uh, get some easy buckets or get some easy foul, uh, draw some easy fouls and, and make them work on that end. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, not something we've seen a ton this year, but in spots, I think it's looked pretty good. It's just not been a focus. Yeah, I mean, just again, some, something to watch. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. I honestly, I, I think we're going to have to see some sort of different look based on what we've observed, what others have observed, that like something's not clicking necessarily. Um, it's not the offense has played like completely miserably of late, but obviously threes aren't falling. You're, you're seeing that change in how they're guarding Buddy. Um, so, so something is to look different here uh, if we want to pull an upset. Dan, if you want to pick this one, what are you uh, what are you seeing occurring down in Louisville? Uh, I would love to pick us. Um, it's just hard to see. Uh, based on these last double games, this is probably, again, the, the toughest test we have on the entire schedule. Um, I think we'll keep it close as we've been keeping it close. We, we really haven't done run out of the gym since non-conference play. Uh, I'll take Louisville uh, 78, Syracuse 72. Right. Yeah, I... Uh... I'm going to go, I know Louisville's offense has been struggling a little bit lately, but I think they'll be able to return to form um, a bit, again, especially knowing what we know about SU's uh, troubles in the paint at times. Uh, Give me Louisville, 83, Syracuse, 74. Fair enough. Again, not not, not something I'm thrilled about necessarily. Uh, Dan, why don't we take a little break for our sponsor? And we're back. Um, hoops wise, I know we started talking about it a little bit, but we'll talk about it a little bit more here um, before halftime. Dan, how many games? If we beat Louisville, how many games do you think they need? Syracuse needs to win in the ACC tournament um, to make the NCAA's. And if they don't beat Louisville, it, do, do you think that it, it is truly um, championship or bust um, in, in order to make the field? If we don't beat Louisville, I think it's probably championship or bust. If we do, I think you probably want to avoid more than like one other loss the regular season. And I think you probably need at least one or two in the tournament, depending on who they are. The matchups may matter a lot. Right. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, I think realistically, you know, if you look at the ACC standings, I, I think to make the field, you probably need... Given our, our record, I think you need three combined wins over like the Duke, Louisville, Florida State, Virginia group. And at least, I think at least two of those have to be on the road. Um, if we beat Louisville, that's two um, against that group, and that's two on the road. Um, if we don't, then I think obviously the next opportunities are in the ACC tournament. Um, I don't think it's necessarily, if you can, if you if you don't beat Louisville, it just it becomes both a volume game and a quality game. So you not only need to win out um, after the Louisville game, but then you also need to pick up two wins against, again, that group, that Duke-Louisville-Florida State-Virginia group. And even then, I think the Duke-Louisville-Florida State group is even more important uh, because those yeah. are the wins that are really like critically important. I guess if you lose Louisville and then win out and then maybe go to the ACC final and pick up like two huge wins on the way, maybe then you can get it too. Um, I'm kind of thinking like with the Louisville win 
as like your 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 marquee win, your second really good road win. I think we're probably looking at like you need to probably to get to twenty one somehow. Yeah, I think get to twenty one, and I think I do think one of them needs to be against like that big four. Yeah, it's certainly possible. Because yeah, I mean, while SU doesn't have a bad loss, their overall record against squadrons one and two aren't like isn't great by any means, and they have an ability to improve that over the course of the rest of the season. Um, I, I still think that like resting, like resting the entire season on on road wins against Louisville and Virginia, not necessarily what I would recommend. It's another example okay. of where the ACC being weird, like doesn't right. help come tournament time because most ACC, ACC tournaments say we're the sixth seed playing what the eleven uh, in our first game, like might actually be a pretty nice win. Where now. Like it probably doesn't mean that much until you finally get against those like other quarterfinal type teams. Yeah, I mean, as much as I want us to win too, I do almost like I, I know you and I have talked about this before. I do almost think that we'd be better off being a five or a six from an NCAA tournament standpoint because then we have an opportunity to pick up another potential like quadrant two win, and then make sure that we face um, at least one of the the, the quadrant one teams. And at least one of the like NCAA tournament bound teams who a win against them w- w- would matter quite a bit um, versus, you know, having, having a double buy. And then yes, you, you, you probably did beat one of those teams, but not necessarily, but you also get to, um, you also might not necessarily have to face one of those teams at all, especially if you lose in the first game. Yeah. It's like you, you almost want to root against your own seating so that you have the most ma- possible opportunities to get big wins because if you lose the first game, like it, whatever, like you weren't going to make it anyway. So um, yeah, it, it's just a weird spot to be in <laughs> just overall. Um, obviously you want to win the AC tournament if you can, but like if that's the case, then you're going to have to play some of these good teams anyway. So you might as well, you know, take, take your luck, but it all, it's all kind of predicated on beating Louisville. If we don't beat Louisville, I think I'm just hoping that we got the easiest ACC tournament path because that's probably our best shot. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's a whole, that's a whole different uh, level of calculus. I think it's something we can talk about next week, um, depending on what happens here, what happens over the weekend. Um, that was depressing though, Dan. So why don't we talk about beer to, uh, to get our mind off it? Well, luckily, uh, not related directly to our, our recent stid, um, I've had probably my biggest beer week of the tw- of 2020 so far. Um, I had uh, I was in Connecticut last week, stopped at Lock City Brewing in my hometown of Stanford, um, had both of their Over the Darden Wall releases right now. Uh, I tasted the sweet cherries and key lime, which was pretty good. And then I bought cans of the raspberry boysenberry blackberry sour, uh, which is very good. Um, had some main lunch because it was there and I couldn't turn it down. Uh, had some Tesseract by Grimm, uh, which is probably one of my best I- favorite IPAs I've had from them recently. Uh, really delicious. Uh, I had a Biohop from Sloop uh, Pale Ale, which was delicious. Um, and then had a Slightly Stoned by Springdale, another sour, which was really good. Very nice. Yeah, I, uh, I-, I can never turn down main lunch anytime I see it because it does get out here occasionally. I've seen it a decent amount recently. I think they must have just like just sent a, a bunch down here. Yeah, I think they they ramped up distro a little bit too. I know lately, which is helpful. Um, some things for me. Um, I was up at Highland Park, um, brewing a couple times in the last week or so. Uh, they had some guest beers on. Had a Cloudburst, uh, Happy Little Clouds, uh, really good uh, German Pilsner, light, refreshing, but flavorful. And Timbo Pils, um, 
a beer that I talked about a little bit last year. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, actually my complete favorite of 2019, um, as far as new beers for me, um, one of the favorite beers I've ever had, and, and that's just a, a Pilsner. Uh, it's a quote-unquote West Coast Pilsner, so it's kind of uh, got some IPA notes, but it still very much drinks like Pils. Um, from Beechwood, has some Sim Coast to Coast, kind of a East Coast, West Coast IPA hybrid. Had a Modern Times Ice, um, just a Pilsner from them. Had a Thunderbolt Gold from Highland Park, a Hell's Lager. And then from uh, Other Half and Monkish, um, had a Blown Up the Spot, a, a triple IPA. That was super good, really interesting. A lot of tropical notes, kind of some guava, some pineapple. Um, if you're going to, I feel like actually I really enjoy triples more than like hazy doubles lately. I feel like triples end up being a lot more heartburn inducing while, uh, well, doubles end up being a lot more heartburn inducing while triples end up being a little bit smoother um, and always love, you know, other half stuff and monkish stuff. I think I've actually noticed the same exact thing, and I feel like more people are doing triples recently. Yeah, I feel like other half has definitely like set the standard there a little bit. Um, and Monkish usually kind of like not copies them, but Monkish definitely follows along with, with some of the things they do trend wise. Um, so it, I guess not too surprising to see the, the the trends kind of parallel one another, given the two breweries kind of the closeness of those two breweries that kind of are leading the way on both coasts. Yeah, I've definitely just noticed that like this year, basically, they're like everyone has like a triple out and, and most of them are very good. And I do agree they have been like pretty smooth compared to some of the harsher uh, doubles, which is nice. So way to go, guys, making triples. It's appreciated on this end. Back on the IPA train, even though it never really got off. But you guys know what we yeah, mean. Same. Yeah, I, uh, for me, it's, it's like IPAs and Pilsners are, are what I drink, by and large. The, uh, speaking of alcohol, um, a, an interesting scheduling news piece, not for Syracuse, uh, but something that you'll probably appreciate. Uh, it was announced today that LSU and Utah scheduled a home-and-home football series. So if yeah. you're looking for an interesting culture shock. It's, um, it's, didn't LSU and BYU play like not that long ago? They did. Yeah. Which was like, also uh, weird. It's a weirder really than this one. <laughs> Definitely. It's like, um, I, I mean, you, you can kind of see it over the last couple of years, like especially in the SEC. Um, it's pretty clear that schools expect uh, the playoff to expand, in which case, like, scheduling becomes super important because right now what we've kind of learned is that if you go undefeated, you're fine. Like, it's very hard to not go undefeated or to not make the playoff at an undefeated Power 5 record. Um, but if it gets to, you know, if it gets to those to six or eight teams, then the record uh, or the schedule becomes uh, super important among the one-loss teams. So you're seeing a lot of SEC teams and powers especially uh, schedule more home-and-homes with, like, Power Pack 12 and Big 10 schools um, and a lot more, like, double up on Power 5 non-cons, uh, which, again, very different uh, calculus than what we're looking for, what we support here for Syracuse at the moment. Um, but it's appreciated as, like, general college football fans. I love having more games like that. Yeah, definitely interesting. I think Utah's kind of stepped up a little bit. Um, lately, LSU, I know, had a Florida State series um, on the books. I think last week they put that one on. Um, and then there's also this Utah series. I'm sure they'll have more um, general. It's just fun to, yeah, like as long as it doesn't affect our team, <laughs> I'm, I'm fine to see, you know, like those weird kind of matchups with uh, with LSU and Utah. If your LSU fans will enjoy drinking in Salt Lake. It's actually a, a more fun drinking town than you think, even if the uh, the 5% limit 
um, does kind of hamper what you can do. But it also from I because I talked to a, a couple different uh, brewers and bartenders when I was last there. Um, it does kind of create like an interesting challenge because then it's like how do you pack the most amount of flavor and hoppiness um, and, and diversity into your offerings um, with, with with a strict cap. So it, I mean, for those that take it as a creative challenge, I think I think it has worked out well. Um, even if I would, wouldn't mind if it would just towed a little bit more into like the six, six and a half percent, um, range. Yeah. I mean, I believe that there's like a whole thing of, across, you know, not just beer, but like in general, if sometimes limitations can spur on creativity. So, uh, I definitely believe it. Indeed. Um, football, there really hasn't been anything going on, um, since we last spoke. Guys are in the weight room. Get ready for the Guys, season. There's, there's a whole lot of weight room stuff going on. I saw those, uh, those, cruci- those crucible shirts that they have because, of uh, course, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. What is an off-season if not themed? Yeah, what, what is an off-season if not themed? Uh, the crucible shirts are fun. I'm sure, I'm sure th- th- those are team issue only. Um, I know uh, Steve and I kind of get it started looking at the 2021 class last week. Um, I started previewing the coaching staff changes, the quarterback position. Um, Dan, I know for the 2021 class, I, I think the big focus here is obviously quarterback play. Uh, well, just quarterbacks in general. I know we added two um, for this past class, but at the same time, like while I like them as three-star projects and they're three-star guys who could potentially work their way up the depth chart eventually, um, I know that they're not like the sort of you know, blue chip four-star type guys that we're looking for at the quarterback position, not because they're bad players. I think they're not bad by any means. I think the issue that just becomes, if this, if this offense is so predicated on quarterback play, we'd like to be able to add as much elite talent as we can. Uh, right now we have five offers out to um, four-star or better kids. Um, two of those are already committed. I know uh, Krishna Velo. Uh, from Ontario has been a target for a while. Uh, he's now at the Bullock School in Maryland. Seems like bigger Fisher kind of moving in on him. Uh, we have other options in the three-star range, and there's plenty of you know good players. Uh, Taj Bullock's one guy in Jersey City, um, who a lot of people are high on. He was a junior day um, back in January. Overall, like I think, I think this is a huge, huge like like just really critical recruiting class um, for Syracuse as like. I don't think we need to turn this into like, you know, a top 40 class by any means. I think if we can just find a way to get it above top 50, even if it's just like 48 um, and just get like a couple, you know, four-star guys in there, I feel like that's kind of the proof we need that, you know, this offense is, uh, this off season's additions um, specifically with a recruiting bend um, we're the right ones and, and that where we're, progressively trending upward even if it's a even if it's not at the most rapid clip um, imaginable yeah obviously quarterback is where things start and you know even with bringing on too late this year and hopefully two guys that end up being kind of diamonds in the rough really you just need one of them to be diamond in the rough um numbers wise uh you still want to try to add a quarterback every year if possible um and that's why like the 2020 getting some guys in the door was, was so crucial uh but now you you don't want to settle for for that type of, of player no offense to those guys we don't really like they're just kind of unproven talents um two years in a row um 
Villiu, I think, has been the one we've we've probably heard the most about, especially being from Canada. Obviously, if there's like if if it's anyone's backyard, it's our backyard. Um, cue the jokes from all the fans of other programs. Um, but with him going down to uh, to Maryland to the the uh, the Bullis stool, obviously that does invite uh, more attention, and it does look like he might turn into like an elite recruit. Um, but we have, you know, we got Tommy DeVito, and that's kind of what happened with him. He was already out of big school, but he he ended up turning into like a, a serious elite eleven kid uh, and stuck with Syracuse throughout. But then also the fact that we bolstered uh, the DMV recruiting ties with these staff changes, I think, does help. Yeah, I think that's going to be big for us. I, I think that it's it could be big for for that commitment for that potential commitment in particular. Um, I know that we're in on a lot of the potential top New York guys. There's not really a lot. Um, you know, I, I keep saying this. I know you do too. Like the people that like make a big, big deal about New York. Um, yeah, it'd be great if we could get the top kid in New York every year. Um, but realistically, like there aren't a lot of top kids in New York right now. It's not even like super recruited for 2021. There's only like a couple four stars um, in the entire state. Um, and that's probably not something that's going to change much. Um, doesn't mean we avoid kids there. It just means that like, are you going to spend a ton of time, uh, just to lose the couple four-star kids to Ohio state or Notre Dame or Michigan, or could you, you know, time, could you spend some time with them, but also spend a lot more time, you know, trying to, to, to find those like secretly elite kids in, in Florida and Georgia, North Carolina. That that's my big issue with like freaking out over the top New York kids. Obviously, it stinks when there's a kid in Rochester. Um, who was the one who went to Notre Dame a couple years ago? Uh, defensive end. I can't remember him. There was also like the couple kids that went to BC. Like, there's there's definitely been a bunch of them. There 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 are good recruits in New York. The problem is like they don't get ignored by the other programs. So it's not like we're losing you know the best kid in New York to like Rutgers all the time or to BC all the time. We're losing them to Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan, Penn State. Um, even Alabama has come up to New York. Like they don't get ignored. So when there are elite kids in New York, which is not that often, it's not an easy recruitment at all. And it's not like the kids, especially the ones down in the city, don't have this like, oh, Syracuse is our state school thing. So it's it's just like obviously you want to recruit there well. Obviously you want to have a footprint um, where these kids are, but um, it's just not it's not the same thing as if you're Penn State wanting to lock up all the best kids in Central and Western Pennsylvania. Like though that that's our, our recruiting profile is never going to be entirely predicated on New York talent. Uh, it's just not feasible because there are like, I think almost every year, like uh, probably a handful of like four to like high three, four star kids, maybe a five star kid every couple of years, but there's just not the depth in, in terms of uh, like the statewide recruiting profile. It drops off pretty quickly after like 10 or 15 recruits every year. So uh, obviously it's nice to get those guys and you want to compete for them. And it, and, and maybe it helps a little bit being uh, a couple hours closer than some of these, some of these other schools. But realistically, like if like Notre Dame, Alabama, Clemson's coming up for kids as they have in the last couple years, Ohio state, if they're all in on a kid from New York state, um, guess what? It's, we're, we're not going to get them that often. It's just realistically, you're, it's just not going to be feasible. So you want to get the kids that you can get, and then you want to – I mean, we're always going to be more successful um, just battling for the depth in Florida, in Georgia, even in the Carolinas, DMV, Pennsylvania, Ohio. Like, there is a recruiting footprint that we know works. It's just uh, you can't get hung up as fans on, like, oh, we lost out on the on the four-star uh, running back from Brooklyn. It's just it, – it's not going to ultimately be that big a deal um, because it, it's it's – it's not the only retreat out there just because he's from the state that we happen to reside in. 
it's just Syracuse is such a different uh, recruiting situation than most other schools being, a, you know, relatively small for FBS purposes, private school in upstate New York. It's just not the same thing as dominating your state when you're like the state school. Oh yeah. And, and like, you know, you, you look at Rutgers, which like the reason that they got to any sort of prominence under Greg Shiano the first time was because they started, you know, converting those New Jersey kids that we used to convert um, with some more frequency while Penn state still kind of predominantly got the best kids around there. Now you look at, since Rutgers joined the big 10 Rutgers, isn't really converting those kids and Alabama's coming up and Penn state and Michigan and Notre Dame are able to, to get a lot of those guys. I mean, I was looking over the top 150 or so for 2021. And one of the common threads I saw was that almost every top kid is offered by the same like 10, 15 schools. Um, and like those get, those schools don't really bother recruiting anybody else. They don't bother trying to scout anybody else. Cause they're chances are they're going to split those guys, um, between them. And like, maybe you'll make a couple of regional plays here and there, but like all these, you know, Ohio state and Penn state and Michigan, Alabama, Notre Dame, um, even Auburn, Florida, Georgia, like LSU, all of them can just recruit nationally. Um, and, and they do recruit nationally. And, and they're able to just walk into wherever. And like, there's not, is there's not so many kids in, in any area that, that go, Oh, I want to play for my hometown team. Cause I want to play in front of my hometown fans. Like there are, there are some of those, um, but the percentage isn't, isn't super high. And it's especially not super high um, when you get to those like four and five star talents, the guys who see the, the NFL, um, you know, as a future for them. So I, it's not to say never, it's not to say we can't, we have, um, even in recent years we have, um, but it's just to point out that like recruiting continues to change and, and it was good to see this off season for Syracuse kind of change with it. Uh, we just kind of have to roll with the punches and again, hope we can, you know, get a couple, you know, high three, some four-star guys um, and guys that fit what we're doing on both sides of the ball. And that's really going to be critical um, you know, for, for, for this, uh, this regime's continued success. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, it is becoming, um, not just for us, but like, I think even more for the big schools, as you said, like way more national. Um, if you look at Alabama's recent classes, they go out West a lot. Uh, they go. Well, because USC is like dipped. Well, yeah. I mean, California in general, like none of those schools has really stepped up to control the state. So the SEC is going hard after California. Um, and a lot of the Big Ten and some others, but like it's it's really getting picked over. So well, and Clemson like has like what like one South Carolina kid in their last class. Yeah, and they got the best quarterback in the country from California, DJ uh, Wigalele. So um, it's it's a uh, it's a whole it's it's changed a lot with social media, with like it becoming very obvious who will and will not get you in the NFL. Um, and it's, you know, it probably helps in some ways and, and is, is probably not as, uh, not as great in a lot of ways for first like Syracuse, but you just have to adapt. And, and, you know, if Alabama is teeing in a kid from California, there might be, or, you know, say Georgia is teeing in on a kid from California or a kid from Texas. Um, there's another kid from Georgia that isn't getting looked at from them and that kid might be awesome. So you have to go and identify talent and, and make sure you're, if you're Syracuse, like you're not letting those rots stay unturned. If there's a kid who's not getting the offers he would have 10 years ago because things have gotten more national for the SEC schools. Yeah. I mean, I, I obviously like SU, the majority of SU's class is still going to be those three-star guys. Um, maybe not the guys that are diamonds in the rough, maybe not the guys that need a lot of coaching in their projects, but three-star guys nonetheless, and hopefully more high three stars than not. But like what we, what I think, 
you and 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 me and a lot of other people want is just like a handful of four star guys, guys that you know, and, and maybe they end up being high threes that were just undervalued. So you know, your guys like your Andre Cisco's, um, potentially a guy like Devito, a guy like um, like Taj Harris, like, like other players that are on the roster and, and and are already looking good for Syracuse. Trill Williams, who was a four star, like players like that. You know, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying nobody else is saying like come like just suddenly only five stars and shoot for the moon. I, I think what's going to be interesting now for this staff and for Dino in particular is like, how do you sell a different, um, how do you sell a, a, a different like projection? Like for the first few years, it was selling the future, selling the promise of what Syracuse football could be. Then Syracuse football got to the promise of what they could be, at least on paper uh, with a 10 and three season, a top 15 ranking. It seemed like the summit was reached. Um, then you have to change the pitch. And, and Dino's never necessarily had to change the pitch, and that's not his fault, but just the reality of like when when, when you, your your career follows the the arc it his has, when you don't have to sell what comes next, like then you have to adjust how you're selling. So I think you know whatever happened last year, whether it was because of the five and seven season or because of current depth chart projections or because of um, you know just an inability of, of the staff that was in place to sell differently. Um, I think there was maybe not a halting of progress, but, but definitely not the like potential spike we were hoping for. Um, but I think that the, I, I, again, I, I do think and I'm optimistic that the current moves um, that we saw this off season are, are kind of flipping the page and a change in, in, in the sales projection. Now that it's not, now that it's not like, look at the, like, like selling the future, but selling that you're a key part of how we, keep this team, you know, in, in, in bowl conversations in potential, um, you know, conference championship conversations and, and, and compete at the highest level that we can. So like, again, I'm not a recruiter. I'm sure these coaches know it better than I do, but th- th- this happens across any industry is that at some point, you know, once you become a market leader, once you become, you know, one of the better options instead of like an underdog, you do have to change how you, how you sell and how you message yourself. Yeah, and it's it's a point we made after the season. It's a point we made um, a couple weeks ago after the staff finally got pretty much finalized. Like uh, we were looking for them to both shake things up uh, in terms of defensive philosophy and approach, but also add recruiting prowess to that group. And I think they did. So it'll be exciting to see uh, what things look like now that Dino, you know, has kind of gotten you know kicked back into gear. Uh, he had a five and seven season. Uh, no one, I mean aside from really just like kind of people who have crazy delusions of Brancher, like people were like, you know, that happens. It's not going to undo the 10 and three season, but something we can't just like rest in our laurels here. We obviously haven't gotten to where we want to be ultimately. Um, So I think it's pretty exciting to see where we go, how he adjusts and, and kind of learn more about what his, how he's going to be as a coach ultimately, because he faces this, this situation that he's never had to face before. Um, but I think he's reacted well so far. I think the hires, especially with the curveball that got thrown, thrown at us by the Arnett thing, um, have been really good uh, on paper, and I'm I'm impressed. So we shall see. I think uh, overall, I'm I'm remaining pretty optimistic with this, with how how things are moving as like a a long term like five year plan type deal. Uh, I'm not going to get super worked up about one kind of iffy season, especially because I think on paper next year we should be in line for a nice bounce back. I'm excited about it. Yeah, agreed. Obviously, the uh, S&P rate, uh, projections that came out recently did not love us. Um, 95th 
Uh, for those who are wondering, a lot of that though is based on uh, loss of returning production. So you, when you lose your two sack leaders, well, three sack leaders, if you include Brandon Berry, uh, when you lose your linebacker production, um, when you lose your top receiver, when you lose your top rusher, uh, that's going to happen. And, and then when you recruit at a 50 to 55, top 50 to 55 rate um, over a five-year stretch, um, that's also going to happen. So uh, while, while I, I do think that Bill's numbers are fair, um, I also think their returning projections, you know, are are, are rightfully going to lean on, on on guys that left and and how we replace them, but they don't necessarily have the because of the recruiting rankings. It's not it doesn't seem like a sure thing on paper that we can replace it. And and while I don't think it's a sure sure thing, I, I do think that we stand a pretty good chance because of the system uh, to be able to replace that production, even if not the players themselves. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. Um, I just overall very excited, especially with how these last little basketball games have gone. Uh, very excited for football to finally return, um, even though it just went away like literally a month ago. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm fine with it. I think between that, uh, maybe women's basketball making a run. The men's and women's lacrosse teams looking pretty good um, so far. I'm, I'm excited about what Learn Sports is doing. I'm excited for Wednesday's game. Uh, nervously excited uh, for sure. And uh, excited for spring football. Uh, running back preview is going to go up this week for those uh, on the lookout for those. Um, we'll be sure to let people know when spring practices and a potential spring game should it happen uh, once that is announced. Uh, Dan, anything else before we depart this week? No, I echo all those sentiments. Uh, women's basketball, nice bounce back uh, as of late. Lacrosse looks really good. Obviously, it's early. The Army will tell us a lot. Uh, women's lacrosse looks good. But spring should be uh, should be fun. Indeed, indeed. Uh, For everyone, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Uh, Thank you for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, in particular subscribe um, on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, um, any other service you may listen to us on, and go orange. Go orange.